the idea that you can just plan for steady growth, uh, as far as the eye can see, has uh, been obviously trashed over the last couple of years. And I think it's uh, a default way of thinking about business planning that uh, needs to go. Hello, welcome to the Chief Disruptor podcast. This series of podcasts highlights and explores the disruptive strategies, mindsets, and technologies taking place across blue chip organizations, startups, scale-ups, and the public sector. Every other week, I'm joined by disruptors, innovators, and changemakers from across the Chief Disruptor community. This week, we welcome onto the podcast, Mark Cliff. After spending time as a chief economist and economic advisor to a number of financial institutions, including HSBC and ING Group, Mark is now a visiting professor at the London Institute of Banking and Finance and an independent consultant. Mark is a well-regarded thought leader on the unprecedented disruptive changes that we are facing with a particular interest in the involving and interacting transformations in the environment and climate, society and politics, technology and consumer behaviour, and economic policy and regulation. Mark is also a crucial member of the Chief Disruptor Members Advisory Board, helping support the direction of the Chief Disruptor community. In this episode, we revisit one of Mark's pieces of work from 2020, entitled Pandemics: How COVID-19 Could Change the World. Mark's piece of analysis, a scenario planning exercise, documented 15 predictions of how the external environment might look in a post-pandemic world. Whilst the accuracy of the predictions is testament to Mark's thorough analysis, I would definitely give it a Google if you have time, it is in the act of revisiting them two years on that you realise the value to business and technology leaders these predictions would have had. However, the big question is, what is the significance of this now? Well, arguably, as organisations face continued economic, technological, geopolitical and environmental uncertainty, Replicating these sorts of predictions with scenario planning is a crucial exercise. It is exactly this that this episode attempts to explore. If you enjoy this podcast, please follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Without further ado, let's dive in. So, Mark, hi, and welcome to the Chief Disruptor podcast. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Yes, uh, glad to be on the podcast. Yeah, and it's great to have uh, one of our member advisory board on the podcast at last. So, um, so we're, we're very glad to have you on board. Thank you. Um, I, I wonder if we could sort of kickstart the podcast. Um, we're obviously talk- today to talk about um, your your uh, revisiting pandemics two years on. Um, so, I wonder if we could start with sort of a brief introduction to yourself and 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 also to your um, pandemics um, piece that you wrote um, a couple of years ago. Yes, well, I've spent most of my career as an economist in financial services, and uh, what I called my day job was macroeconomic forecasting. And I've long been troubled about how fallible that is. Um, The world is essentially going through multiple and unprecedented disruptions, which are inherently unpredictable and very hard to model for economists. So after the global financial crisis in 2008, uh, people started to talk about the new normal. And and this phrase has driven me mad ever since, because what we're going through is in no way normal. I call it the new abnormal. Uh, Essentially, we're in a sort of continuous state of disruption. And, you know, this really goes way beyond economics. There's a whole series of sort of interconnected shifts 
going on between economics, politics, the environment, technology, and consumer behaviour. And, and really, the COVID-19 pandemic was a prime example of this. And yeah. within the first six weeks of the onset of the pandemic, I thought, rather than adding to the running commentary on the unfolding disaster that the pandemic was uh, for the first few months at least, um, to really try to look at how the world might be after it had ended. Um, I suppose in retrospect, I was a bit too early with that story and people have written loads of books since. But, um, you know, looking back at the 15 themes that I identified back in April 2020, um, I'm pretty happy about the things that I identified, um, although some of them were rather gloomy. Um, but it, certainly in terms of the picture that I was trying to paint in pandemics, um, I think a lot of those things have been borne out, although, of course, we've had lots of other surprises since. Yeah, and uh, and we're going to dive into all those those juicy fifteen uh, topics, and also some of those those missing parts that perhaps people are very aware of. Um, so, so yeah. I wonder if we can sort of start with with the current situation um, and the current situation that you managed to predict quite well, um, but obviously not 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 the specifics. So, I guess you know from a from a high level point of view at the moment, you know we're facing high interest rates, uh, high inflation, um, political instability, supply chain disruption disruptions, cost of living crisis, um, spiraling government debt. Um, I think I've probably missed some out there that are quite important. But, you know, um, a lot of those sort of hinted to in your pandemics uh, theory. Um, how did I guess sort of how did we get to that point then? Um, and, and then maybe you could sort of touch on a few of those those 15 that you uh, predicted. Yeah, sure. Well, I, I think Certainly one of the things that um, has obviously uh, been a major disruption over the last few months is Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And in effect, there are certain aspects of it which are rather similar to the pandemic in the sense that it's represented a massive global supply shock, uh, in this yeah. case, uh, in the energy market and uh, some of the other um, primary resource markets. So um, that has really brought us back into a renewed downturn because uh, the one of the themes in pandemics was the notion that big government is back. Yeah. And the sense that people's expectations about what the government can do have been really thrown up in the air. And of course, uh, a war is a really prime example of that. When there's a war on, um, we're in a very different economic regime. Yeah. Um, now, I, I suppose for many people, you know, they're not directly involved in the fighting, uh, but there's certainly indirectly hugely affected by by the war and so in that sense uh, we've got a, a new twist to the new abnormal as a result yeah. of that and that has obviously led into some of the things that you pointed out which is uh, a big surge in inflation which is already beginning to build up because of the supply dislocations that are a hangover of the pandemic um, that has led to uh, sharp increases in interest rates and those two things combined are beginning to squeeze economic activity. So um, I think we are still very much in, if you like, um, 
economic long COVID um, <laughs> with a, 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 a sort of major war layered on top. So, um, you know, this is something which uh, really compounds the difficulties for people trying to make forecasts because, you know, we are not in um, uh, previously chartered territory. There are no direct parallels to the situation that we're in at the moment. And uh, that does make life very difficult for business as well in terms of the planning processes that they're going through. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's a crazy time. And, um, you know, I think you've summarized it <laughs> very well or better than I can there. I think, I think um, sort of linking to that big government is back. I think, um, you know, the, the part of that part, uh, that, that sort of um, observation has been sort of the shift from monetary to, to fiscal policy and the impacts that that has had. And obviously um, that, that, that's a big uh, challenge for the current government or, or, whatever government we'll have next week. Um, but I, I guess, that is that is that a growing um, challenge for organisations as well? Well, yes. I mean, obviously, we've had it in a particularly extreme form in the UK, but this is not, not unique to the UK. Um, most governments have seen their finances completely trashed by the combination of a pandemic and a war. And this has obviously led to huge political upsets, big fights amongst economists as well, although less so than amongst the politicians <laughs> over, over, you know, what is the right thing to do with fiscal policy? I mean, a lot of people have sort of gone back to the drawing board. Um, and obviously in the UK, we've gone literally from one extreme to the other, um, supposedly under a government of, of one party. So um, you, can, you can see that we're in extremely unusual times. And of course, that leads to volatility in financial markets, which yeah. then uh, obviously compounds some of the economic difficulties that we're contending with. Yeah, no, for sure. And then I think you sort of touched on it then, but the other sort of... Um, trend that we that we identified was that competence matters and it's i mean that 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 could that's arguably the most striking <laughs> trend for me personally and probably quite amusing as well uh, well yes competence matters but uh, people don't always vote for it <laughs> which uh, which is uh, which is um, an, another aspect of the situation you know if you if you pursue uh, a purely risk approach to forecasting, um, you're often going to miss out on things in these kind of disruptive times. Um, but I think in general, uh, the observation that uh, I made a couple of years ago in this, uh, under this theme of competence matters is that people have been extremely unforgiving about incompetence. Um, and I suppose, you know, one, one prime example of that was President Trump, who lost the presidency, I think, partly because of his handling of the pandemic, um, obviously other factors as well. Um, but here we are, um, you know, we're, we're speaking on the day of the midterm elections in the United States mm. uh, with the expectations that the Republicans are going to gain a lot of ground in Congress. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about President Trump making a comeback and declaring his hand for mm. the 2024 election. So I, I think, yes, competence matters in terms of the, the outcomes, but uh, in terms of politics, um, it's not so clear cut. Yeah, I 
we could open a can of worms there, but I think we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna... I think we already have, unfortunately, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Um so I think I think may, maybe move on. I think um move on to I think we touched on it sort of um earlier that there's probably certain things that you physically or or you know couldn't have predicted such as the the russian ukraine conflict um and you touched on that earlier um it, but yeah. are there are there other things that you that you've seen that um perhaps are missing from the the 15 that you'd that you'd add right now um not really because i did try to be pretty comprehensive <laughs> in 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 terms of covering the various um aspects of the external environment you know uh, you know pursuing this from the point of view of uh, a fan of um, scenario planning uh, there are various big topics that you have to cover and I tried to cover all of those now that's not to pretend that I in any way predicted exactly what's going on it's more of an analytical framework to help Mm. people make um, decisions but I I think Certainly, um, I, I didn't predict the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. Although, of course, as, a, as ever, when these things happen, people are very quick with uh, their hindsight to say, "Well, we could see straws in the wind." And I, I yeah. suppose you could also rationalise, uh, perhaps to a degree, what President Putin has done on the grounds that he was taking advantage of uh, some of the strains that were emerging in the recovery that was beginning to start um, as the as the pandemic has started mm. to subside, um, in, as in the tightness in the energy market. So um, you can see perhaps why that might have happened. Um, but I, I think it also tells you something else, which um, I think maybe we can talk about in more detail in a moment, but which is the way to think about these kind of disruptions, because um, the nature of these is that some of the outcomes can be very binary. You know, economists are used to thinking at the margin, you know, so there's mm. hand-to-hand combat that goes on over whether inflation is going to be 8% or 10% or whether GDP growth is going to be, you know, 2% or 1%. Yeah. But, you know, some of these things are, you know, win or lose. I mean, that's what happens in wars ultimately. And, you know, I think looking ahead, um, that kind of mindset is going to be very important. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, And I I think sort of we're we're, we're slowly drawing to to, to that conversation that you just mentioned there. But before we touch on it, I think another one of the, um, for for chief disruptor members in particular, um, I think one of the the trends that was quite interesting was the, 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 from the physical to digital. And obviously at the time you you wrote about how that that's the change of sort of the workplace. Um, But I guess from a, from a, a digital disruption point of view and it's well documented and chief disruptor members will be be very wary of that but i guess you know what have you seen change what what have you seen change in that in that sort of regard yeah well i think uh, I, I i came across recently the expression tech acceleration um which i, I think <laughs> neatly sums up what happened in the pandemic that um you know we were very fortunate that uh, we'd actually developed so far in terms of um, digitalization of the economy yeah. because um, you know had it happened even 10 years ago let alone 20 years ago I don't think uh, you know many of uh, the sort of office workers that started to work from home could have done so quite so 
easily as they yeah. did. I mean, it, obviously, from a social point of view, it was less easy. And, uh, you know, we, we've got used to working in our bedrooms and our kitchens and what have you. But the yeah. technological side of it has really made an enormous difference and has um, really opened people's eyes to the potential in other directions in terms of applying digitalization, because um, clearly the pandemic has constrained all sorts of um, in, so not just social interactions, but physical interactions. Mm. And um, that has, has um, I think, um, been extremely beneficial. This is, I think, one of, one of the silver linings out of this uh, pandemic. Um, but I, I think the, the, the story has inevitably moved on because, of course, we are social animals, and mm. as the lockdowns have been eased in most places around the world, although China, I think, is a notable exception to that, um, we have seen a, at least a partial reversal of this sort of trend towards digitalization. Yeah. People have started to come back to working in offices and what have you. Um, but of course, it's not quite the same. And we, you know, the expression of hybrid working has gained a lot of currency in the last couple of years. And there's still a live debate about where this will end up. I think it's, it, it is going to evolve because, of course, the technology alongside this is, is evolving rapidly as well. So it's a very dynamic uh, situation. The other thing which I think is quite interesting is... Um, we're suffering now um, quite a profound hangover in the financial markets in, in yep. relation to tech. Um, we've seen a huge sell-off, in fact, in the tech sector this year. And this is partly because of the change in the macroeconomic situation, the sharp increase in interest rates. So yep. these highly valued tech stocks have uh, received a battering. But there's also some re-evaluation of the business models here. Uh, particularly, of, interestingly, of big tech, which were, you know, you know, all conquering a year or so ago, mm. um, and it's going to be interesting to see how this this one plays out, and whether you know more nimble tech startups and fintechs and what have you can can emerge over the coming years uh, and 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 break into the some of the markets which have come to be almost monopolized by by big tech. So some really rather interesting issues about how technology is going to evolve. Um, I, I think another aspect of this, which is extremely important in the current context, of course, is what's happening in the energy markets and the shift towards renewables and mm. how digital technology can play a part in that so for so one example which i think has not received as much attention as it deserves is the use of digital technology to manage demand yeah. you know things like smart metering and so on um, the governments haven't really embraced this yet because of course there's lots of potential for trying to uh, assist this process of energy efficiency and energy security through the tax system to incentivize people to um, manage their demand through the day and through the year more effectively. So I think you know, technology is very much embedded in the shifts that we're seeing uh, across uh, the economy and society.
Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's uh, definitely a story that a lot of our members like to hear. You know, we, we always want to see the technology or the technological disruptions as a as a catalyst for opportunity. And I'm sure we'll see that over the next year or two. So I, I guess we sort of move on to sort of the other part of what we're going to talk about, which is perhaps looking forward from from pandemics we've quite thoroughly covered where we are right now and 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 what's happened in the last two years and looked forward briefly but um i guess where we are now what, what does that mean for organizations how do organizations need to view this new landscape that that, that they're facing well i i, I think um, we we need to be humble about our ability to predict the future i mean that's always been the case but i, I think you know if if we learn anything from the last couple of years uh, it's precisely that and i think that sort of navigating uncertainty is um, a very important um, aspect of what businesses have to do in the future uh, and I think, you know, looking at some of the pandemics trends, they're still very much in play. And the, if you like, the previous globalization model has been sort of thrown up in the air. Um, and, you know, you're going to have to have a mindset where not only are you resilient and adaptable in the face of uncertainty, but you have to realize that you can't have a sort of cookie cutter approach to specific, uh, to, to all markets, because each market has got its own sort of peculiarities. As, as I say, as if, we, if we continue along this sort of deglobalization path, um, you know, people um, are going to have to make sure that their businesses reflect that and that you know there is going to be more complexity in terms of policy shifts and regulation um, and that people will want low-cost solutions uh, to their problems and so you know technology I think is uh, is a very important uh, way of dealing with some of these uh, turbulent external trends that we're seeing. Yeah and I think one of the things that we previously spoke about the sort of the, the the technology part is is data and how data can be used to to perhaps um, drive um, or, or predict um, what we what we might face in the past. But is it's perhaps now a time to sort of maybe look away from from the past and sort of just have a, have a view of of what how the landscape's changing in front of us. Well, I, I think I think there's. Uh, obviously, any anybody who's uh, studying any kind of science uh, will 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 like data. I mean, the this, it's at heart of the sort of scientific method is to test your theories against the real world with real data. Um, but given that we are in this very disrupted world, uh, there's only so far you can go with data because if you are dealing with unprecedented change, there isn't data to draw upon to form those Mm -hmm. kind of judgments. So I think it's extremely important to assess what kind of a world are you actually in? And and this is where the scenario approach comes in because um, we are currently in a sort of semi-warlike regime, even outside uh, the immediate combatants. Mm. Um, We might well heaven forfend, be back into some 
further pandemic um, there's you know now that we're sensitized to the issue you know we could see some more zoonotic diseases or antimicrobial resistance mm. kicking in in a vicious way if we recognize that that's the kind of situation that we're in um, obviously we've had recent experience of both war and pandemics but there could be other shocks if you recognize that, then I think you need to have uh, some pre-prepared thoughts about how to deal with it. Um, because, you know, the idea that you can just plan for steady growth, uh, as far as the eye can see, has uh, been obviously trashed over the last couple of years. And I think it's uh, a default way of thinking about business planning that uh, needs to go. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it, it kind of sounds like uh, these the the war rooms and are, are needed. You know, coming up with different scenarios. It sounds like quite a. I mean, it's not a fun task, but you know, um, I guess I guess it's open to your imagination of what what's to come next. I guess. Well, I, I think I think you also need to sort of focus on what's material, what really matters in any given situation, because you know there'll be any number of. Um, IT providers who will sell you lots of cloud space and servers and so on to accumulate more and more data. Mm. But, and then there's lots of other people who will sell you lots of services to clean up the data. But is there, is the data, the right data? Are you asking the right questions? A lot, you know, a lot of the time people are engaged in what you might call displacement activities. They're basically trying to answer the wrong questions what is the relevant questions we need to answer in this particular situation mm. go to that what is the thing that really is going to make a big difference to my business or to my customers or to my suppliers um and i, I think obviously climate change is, is 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 something else which sort of plays into this because increasingly businesses are being called upon to track what's happening in their supply chains and report on um, what's happening, not just to their own uh, emissions of greenhouse gases, but that of their customers and suppliers. And, and that's really completely changing the relationship between, between businesses. And there's huge data requirements in all of that. But mm. I think in order to... Um, do this in an efficient way i think you have to have some clearer sense of what the priorities are yeah yeah and i i, I was just about to to shift on to the sort of climate change part and we've spoken about uncertainty a lot here but it increasingly appears that the the one certainty is that the globe is getting warmer um so uh, you know i think that that's a uh, probably one that we need to add to pandemics version 2.0 well I, I, absolutely and i, I think uh, it's 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 often said that climate change is uh, subject to VUCA, which is the acronym for volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. Mm. Uh, yes, in in many ways it is, but uh, as 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 you've noted, uh, the planet is getting hotter, almost regardless of what we do over the next few years. So that's pretty much certain. Um, and therefore, it's also certain that we will have more extreme weather events. So there are certain aspects of this situation which are certain. And by the way, 
often in business, it's not so much having to quantify it, but knowing what direction you're going. Mm. And we know the planet is getting hotter. It's not going to get cooler anytime soon. And by the way, the risks around that are skewed very negatively. In other words, if there's a risk, it's going to get hotter a lot faster. Uh, and we've had some hints of that over the last year or so. Mm. Um, and I think that really means that rather than adopting a sort of fine-tuned forecasting mindset, you adopt the precautionary principle and see the opportunities also around these asymmetries in risk, um, you could actually um, move much more rapidly to commercial success. Mm, yeah, no, 100% is a, it's a ever more... Um relevant and uh, impactful story that's affecting us especially if you're on the m25 yesterday um <laughs> <laughs> well yes i mean i i think you know this is this is one of the things that uh, the, the climate scientists talk about tipping points like you know the arctic ice sheets uh, melting and raising the sea level but there are also other tipping points which um, affect social behavior you know suddenly it's we're beginning to see signs that things like eating steak or driving an SUV is not going to be social acceptable, perhaps mm. over the next few years. But there are also technological tipping points, which is that if you can achieve exponential improvements in efficiency, uh, suddenly products become very attractive. You know, once you reach price parity for a product, you can see sales taking off. You see this, for example, with electric vehicles that we are very close. To, well, I think we're already at the point in many markets where the total lifetime cost of ownership is is cheaper than the conventional equivalents. Mm. And pretty soon over the next few years, we'll probably see them being cheaper in terms of purchase price as battery technology improves and so on. So these kind of tipping points can lead to very rapid nonlinear changes, uh, which again, are very unfamiliar to people, certainly outside the tech sector. I mean, the tech sector sort of lives and breathes and and you know almost banks on it in some respects. Yeah. But I think this is becoming a pervasive ph phenomenon, um, you know, across the economy. Yeah. No, I, I think it's uh, it, it, that speaks definitely true to a lot of what members are thinking. And I know sustainability and climate change is something that we're increasingly um, seeing as on the agenda. Um, and, and, and I'm sure some of our reports and research um, like the disruptive trends report will, will show that in, in more detail, I'm sure. Um, and it will be interesting to see how, how it's prioritized with um, within an uncertain and cost saving environment. I think it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating. So um, I think that's yeah. going to be, that's going to be interesting. Um, I, I wonder if we can sort of finish with our, with our sort of feature the day which is the disruptive thought of the day or disruptive business model i think we've 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 got we're putting together quite a good list of uh of things i think we've got everything from the smart door front door so integrated smart um camera um everything down to sort of you know if tracking the someone coming up to your door something like that we've also got um double level rail tracks to prevent um uh delays so that's quite a big infrastructure uh project um i think we we spoke a bit about education last time um so i wonder if yeah. you've got if you've got something for us uh disruptive thought or or business or whatever 
Yes, well, I think I think you've got some some nice 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 products there, and uh, not being um, uh, a product specialist, I, I I will defer to others on that one. So I think in terms of a disruptive thought um, and in the spirit of scenario planning, um, I would perhaps invite uh, the listeners to think about how the world might look if Russia actually loses in the Ukraine and President Putin is gone. Um, discuss. Mm, interesting. Are we going to give them anything to start on or have you got your own thoughts? Well, for what it's worth, because there are clearly this is a, um, a, a situation with multiple scenarios, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of people are dearly, dearly hoping that Ukraine will prevail. Um, mm-hmm. um, but there's also people who fear that they might not and, uh, and, and uh, Russia will, will succeed in its in its aim. So I think you've, you know, you've got to think about that. But I think to go back to this question of what happens if, 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 if Russia indeed is, is defeated and President Putin is gone, um, you know, if you talk to the political analysts, you've got one group who say, well, be careful what you wish for. There might be somebody even more authoritarian and extreme, and uh, that could be very damaging. But of course, there's also the possibility that uh, with a more rational regime in place, uh, there might be some attempt to achieve a rapprochement with the West, mm. which would potentially include some um, partial dismantling of sanctions that have been imposed on Russia, which further has the impact of leading to a very sharp decline in energy prices, which would mm. really unwind a lot of the damaging trends that we've seen over the last few months. Um, I'm not going to put a probability on that. That's part of the scenario method. People can debate that one for themselves. But the reason why I ask it is for it, to encourage people to have that kind of mindset, to think through how these kind of things might flow through and ultimately affect their own businesses, because clearly something like that would be extremely consequential over the next few uh, months and years. Mm. No, I think that's a that's a great message to finish with. I think um, if there's one thing people are taking away from this, I think that that's a that's a great starting point. And uh, I look forward to hearing some members' thoughts on that. Maybe at the at the at the next Chief Disruptor Live, maybe maybe we can have a panel or something about it. Yes, yeah. uh, I think it's certainly it'd be interesting to hear what other people have got to say about that. Great, perfect. That that that's super. And um, w- what a great episode! I think we've we've covered it almost everything that's happened in the last two years. So uh, we, nothing, nothing left untouched. So it's a great episode. And uh, I'm really grateful for you joining us, Mark. Thanks so much. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mark. Well, that concludes this week's episode of the Chief Disruptor Podcast. Thanks so much to Mark for joining us and for his incredibly thought-provoking thoughts and questions. I hope it will spark some fruitful conversations over the coming weeks. For those of you who are interested in joining our community of disruptive technology and business leaders and our upcoming events, visit our website at chiefdisruptor.com. I hope you enjoyed and see you next time.